Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Gets the ball down. He's into the penalty area on the left-hand side. He's onto his right foot. It might open up. Mount with a shot into the bottom corner. Brilliantly finished by Mason Mount in front of the cop. A performance like this is good for me, and uh, I hope that I will get a lot of confidence now, and um, uh, I will keep on uh, doing like this. I think that this club, the structure, and this team, we have everything to win every game. This is Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this week's show, we look back at a pair of massive wins against the men from Merseyside. There's a trip to Leeds to preview. We'll round up the rest of the Chelsea news and answer your questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Classic sounds of Cool and the Gang there. Yes, welcome, listener, to the Kai Havertz coming out party. Uh, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here to talk you through another week in the life of London's only European Cup winners. I'm joined by a positively giddy Liam Toomey. Liam, your boy Kai finally did it. I'm pretty fired up, Matt. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, Dominic Fivefield's also with us. Hi, Dom. Hello, Matt. Hello, Liam. <laughs> and so me? too, Simon Johnson. What about Simon? <laughs> he hasn't been introduced yet, so it felt wrong to sort of say hello, Simon, there. Hello, He's meant to say hello, hello to all of us. everyone barred Dom. Oh, charming. Nice <laughs> hat, sir. Could have been a nice intro, that. In the end, it was a little bit messy. Never mind. Uh, right, we're a little later than usual this week, that, so we could reflect on Monday's win against Everton. Let's do that. Let's all celebrate and have a good time. Chelsea 2, Everton nil at Stamford Bridge on Monday night. Then a Ben Godfrey own goal and a Jorginho penalty helping the Blues to another win and another clean sheet. They remain unbeaten under Thomas Tuchel and are two points clear of fifth-placed West Ham, though the Hammers have a game in hand. Uh, we'll get to the game soon enough. First, though, team selection. Five changes from Thursday's win at Anfield. Uh, Simon, you spoke to Thomas Tuchel about this after Monday's match and, and that rotation forms the basis of your latest piece for The Athletic. Well, yeah, I just wanted to ask him the, the sort of we're 11 games in and I, I just sort of went, do you know your best 11? It, does it matter? Is it important to you? And as his very long answer, which I've, I've repeated in full in my article shows, um, the answer is no. He doesn't have a best 11 as far as he's concerned. And he doesn't doesn't sound like he wants one. Um, he, wants, he wants everyone to be involved. I know he's kind of sort of said this for a, a few weeks now, but I just found his team selection for Everton particularly noteworthy given 
what many of us perceive to be is probably Chelsea's best performance of the season at Liverpool. Yes, I know Liverpool going through a tough run, etc. But it was it was just such a good display. And to leave, for example, your goal scorer and arguably man of the match, Mason Mount on the bench, how many managers would, would, would make five changes after a performance like that? So that's why I sort of looked into his his team changes in general since he took over 53 changes in 11 games. And why I just thought that was particularly noteworthy is that he's he's making all these changes as the team is winning. Like you, you get used to this perhaps sort of desperation as perhaps we saw with Frank Lampard at that part of his reign of constantly chopping and changing, trying to find a solution as Chelsea kept losing. But this is a guy that keeps winning, keeps making changes, and yet the standard of performances don't drop. So we saw it again at Stamford Bridge. You know, you can't question this team rotation whilst the team keep winning. Yeah, and somebody who's who's coming and done really well of late is Andreas Christensen. Here's a great question from Joe. I'll put it to you, Liam. What is it about Christensen that makes him brilliant in a back three but completely lost in a four? He's looked at a Rolls-Royce of a player over the last couple of games. Yeah, I don't think he's completely lost in a four in all circumstances, but it's clear that being in that in the middle of a back three really suits him. And and I think part of that is because his best attribute is his ability to see the game with the ball at his feet and make good decisions and play incisive passes. He's not quite as adventurous with his passing as someone like David Luiz, but there is a similar benefit to having someone with his comfort level on the ball, someone who played in midfield fairly extensively for Chelsea's academy in that position. Because often, even when opposing teams are trying to press you, if you've got a back three, one of those defenders will be free to bring the ball up and actually initiate initiate the attack and get the team moving forward. And, and Christensen's really well suited to do that. And I, I th- it feels like maybe that part of his game has kind of engendered the confidence to return in the rest of his game. And so I think we've seen in the last couple of matches that he's he's back to reading situations defensively really, really well. And the fact that he's got a little bit of speed around him, either side of him with Espilicueta and Rudiger, he's got experience either side of him. And- Can I, I'd also just quickly flag off back what Liam said, that I think we should point out that he's also getting a regular run of games. He's being able to sort of build that rhythm, which perhaps he hasn't had for a while because he sort of seemed to be in and out of the team quite a lot under Sarri and, and Lampard. But also he's playing for a manager that, that truly rates him. Tuchel wanted to sign him when he was coach of Borussia Dortmund, when Christensen was impressing at Mission Gladbach. So I think he sort of is benefiting from that as well. It's not just the 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 change of formation, which undoubtedly brought his best performances in the Chelsea shirt back in the Conte era. I just think it's sort of having that, as, as many players will always say, you know, sort of having that playing for a manager that believes in you. Uh, makes a big difference to anybody. And also, he's had a bit of luck, hasn't he, with Thiago Silva picking up that injury, which gave him that run of games. It's going to be it's going to be quite interesting what, what happens with Thiago Silva, because undoubtedly he's been sort of Chelsea's best defender this season. But can you really say, thanks, Andreas, thanks for the memories, <laughs> you're out, you know? So, um, yeah, that's another sort of um, dynamic that Tico's going to have to manage, but he's doing all right so far. Dom, do you think they would ever play in the same defence, Christensen and Silva, or is it an either-or situation? I don't see why they 
they couldn't play in the same defence. I mean, it's you could argue that maybe Thiago could come in in one of the slightly wider centre-half positions and in where Rudiger's been playing or where Zuma played last night um, and be equally influential there and reassuring. I think that's that's a key to... I completely agree with what Simon said in terms of rhythm and, and, and getting games and feeling the faith of the manager, but he probably does need that reassurance around him um, out of the two extra centre-backs. And if one of those is is Thiago Silva, who has, has been outstanding all season, uh, is a player of unbelievable pedigree and, and quality and, and, you know, backed up by such an impressive career, then that's only going to benefit Christensen further. And, I, I yeah can easily see that. I mean, it, suddenly it's a luxury of riches at the back there, isn't it? In terms of in terms of centre backs and and options there, as it is throughout the throughout the team really. And I know there have been injuries picked up, you know, a bit over the last few weeks. But when you compare Chelsea's issues on that front to other clubs, I mean, it's chalk and cheese. I mean, Chelsea are, are able to use utilize basically the entire depth of their squad, where other clubs are are, are trimmed back. Well, not actually trim, they've, they've been cut swathes back um, and have no options at all to explore. And, and actually, Simon, the, the defensive conundrum goes further than just Christensen and Silva, doesn't it? This is something you've been looking at for the Athletic. It's not even just the players currently at the club. You've got Fakaya Tamori and Mark Gurhey, who's been unbelievable for Swansea and is very highly thought of at Chelsea. Yeah, I, I, uh, I sort of looked into it because... You sort of think that Tico, as well as he's sort of having to manage what's going on right now, he, he's going to have to start making decisions about next season. And, of course, part of that as well is does he stick with three at the back or will he change it? And with the amount of uh, centre-backs or players that could play at centre-back at his disposal, I counted there's, there's nine what you'd consider serious contenders and that includes players on loan, as you mentioned, Gerhi. There's also uh, Malang Saar, there's Ethan Ampadu. Um, of course, Cesar Espilicueta, you've got to count as a centre-back at the moment in this three at the back. And there's so many decisions here because players are running out of contract. Do you sell a Kurt Zuma because you can maximise his value at the moment? And of course, he's kind of been the fifth choice under Tuchel. There's so many decisions to make. And bear in mind that... Chelsea and Tuchel want to sign a centre-back as well. So it's decision time over the next few months. So people are playing not only for their places in the short term, but also for the long term. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, right, let's get to the to the bit of the pod that most people are here for. Uh, I had a tweet from at Kai29 after last week's pod said, the guy who called Kai Havertz rubbish, that's me, is a donkey. I swear he will never be successful at all. Angry face emoji. Now, it's a deep burn because of the element of truth. JP, a bit more measured. They say, this Kai Havertz looks good. Why hasn't Liam told us about him yet? Uh, Liam, the floor is yours. You're going to make a cup of tea, sir, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I'm off. <laughs> Liam's frozen at the critical moment. Oh, no, he's back. <laughs> he's lost for words. My internet got so excited. <laughs> yeah, so I thought he was really, really good. Um, and particularly in that false nine role that... You know, Tuchel's been talking about, wrote a big piece on it last week about what he could potentially offer this team in that position. It's where he finished last season for Bayer Leverkusen and scored eight goals in 10 games. And uh, I thought Chelsea's attack in general looked probably the most fluid it's been since Tuchel came in. And Havertz was a huge part of that because his ability to drop back into midfield, link play, 
but also do little give and goes with Hudson and Dorian Werner and then actually get the ball and drive. I think people underestimate because of how big Havertz is, just how fast he is when he gets going. Um, he maybe hasn't got the, mo- the best acceleration, but his top speed is, is excellent. And, uh, and I think he showed a little bit more strength as well, holding off pressure to release the ball at the right time to other players. And his movement in the final third was very good. And you saw that for the opening goal. I think fundamentally it comes down to a great piece of play from Hudson-Odoi, switching positions with Alonso and then playing him in. But then once Alonso is in position to play that ball across, Havertz is there. And that's one of the things he did best for Leverkusen was constantly making sure he was there in position to to get those shots off. And then, of course, the way he expertly guides that effort onto Ben Godfrey's foot and in um, just shows the talent this guy has. He sees things that don't he, he sees things that don't occur to other players. Expertly um, guide the ball onto his arm when the other goal is allowed as well. Well, that's the, apparently that's that part of your arm can get you um, offside, but you can't score with it. Or, very, so very good. What, what's the deal there? Um, VAR offside needs to have a chat with VAR handball, I think. <laughs> um, Just imagine how long that conversation will take. <laughs> oh, my God. Just put it how all in the bin. How many lines would be drawn? Just put it all in the bin. Um, but, yeah, I think, it, is, it, is it the best version of Havertz? No, I don't think so. I think we're still getting there with him. Uh, and I think he he acknowledged that afterwards as well. But it was the first game where you saw consistent flashes of the player that Chelsea paid so much money to sign. And I think that can only be a really positive thing. And the fact that he helped make the players around him um, look better as well, I think bodes well for him staying in this team as much as any player is staying in this team under Tuchel. Uh, another player who we had a lot of questions about was Christian Pulisic. Here's Rudy asking, does anyone know if something's going on behind the scenes with Pulisic? Barely getting any game time, let alone a start. Is his camp looking for other clubs at this point? Uh, Simon, there was that strange moment at the end of the game where he was going to come on and then Werner was going to come off and then they changed it and Havertz came on and, and Pulisic kind of got about 90 seconds worth of action. And that, that sort of neatly summed up his season, really. It's just not happened for him at all. I think he needs to save the beard off. It's, it's all in the beard. You know, he was fine when he was clean-shaven, but since he's had that beard, it's all gone to pot. Um, yeah, I mean, Pulisic is one of the, you know, you're talking about this happy camp, etc. cetera. I, I think we can safely assume that, that Christian Pulisic is, is not exactly delighted with how things are going at the moment. But this is where a little bit of responsibility also lies on his shoulders because even if you get a chance off the bench, as you did at Liverpool on Thursday, You've got to make an impact. If you're struggling to to start games, you've got to prove to a manager that you can make an impact off the bench first. I mean, you only had to see how Tuchel treated Hudson-Odoi at Southampton when he didn't make the desired impact off the bench. Now, Pulisic came on at Liverpool, didn't really do anything, didn't get involved, didn't show his magic. He, He doesn't look the same guy as we saw after Project Restart. He's not making the same contribution at the fine end of the pitch, the end product. I mean, I thought early on in the season, he was almost trying to do too much too soon, almost trying to replicate the form of the back end of last season and sort of trying to beat too many men and therefore inviting pressure on himself because he kept losing the ball. It's too early to say that he's his career at Chelsea is over and that he's going to be looking at other clubs, but inevitably 
you're going to be concerned if if you're him because if you're not playing, then you can't do your stuff. I hasten to add, Tuchel did say after the match that that he almost apologised and said, because I know how good he is off the bench from my time with him at Dortmund, he's kind of sort of pigeonholing him in as a, perhaps an impact sub in his mind. But no player wants to be an impact sub. They want to be in the first eleven. He's done that consistently, hasn't he? Even even after the first game against Wolves, he made that point. And it's almost as if, you know, the old, well, not the younger, the younger Pulisic, as in a few years back, is in, in Tuchel's mind is, is the Pulisic he, he still is. Um, and I, I imagine that Pulisic would argue that his game has progressed significantly since then, as we saw indeed last season. But he just hasn't had that opportunity as yet to... To demonstrate in a game to to Tuchel that that he he can offer more, but that that will come. I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? How we, we sort of assume these days that if a player is left out for a couple of matches, that he must be agitating for a move and wanting to, to fresh start somewhere. It's, it really doesn't work like that. I, 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 I believe it doesn't work like that. Um, and the reality is, this is a new head coach who's come in. He's got any eleven games into his tenure. There will be a period of. Of, of games that, that Pulisic plays and he, he will have to seize his opportunity when it's presented to him. Uh, Don, before we move on from, from Everton and on to Liverpool, have we, have we given Chelsea enough credit for the result and the performance? Because this was an Everton team who, who arrived mm. having taken more points away from home than they have at Goodison and Chelsea kept them at arm's length comfortably all night. I, I thought they were more impressive against Everton than they were at Liverpool and, and that was a team that hadn't lost away from home since November and they... I mean, even Carlo Ancelotti admitted after the game that they, they'd been outclassed, absolutely outclassed. So Everton never felt in that match. They never felt as if they were really going to hurt Chelsea. Um, and, I mean, the defensive stinginess is remarkable. Five clean sheets at home uh, on the bounce for, for, for Tuchel, a Premier League record. And I just, it just, just I, I, an Everton team that has threats. You know, Richarlison has been playing out of his skin of late. They just didn't look at it, and that was because of what Chelsea were doing to them, and 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 the fact that they were, they were nullifying them and making inroads themselves. And I thought it was a a, a really impressive performance, and a bit of a, yeah, a, a bit of a, a message to the rest of the division actually that that Chelsea are very much in that that top four race. And and to be honest, the two teams immediately above Chelsea should be looking over their shoulders now. Yeah, Leicester and, and Man United within arm's length all of a sudden. Um, if we have a, a brief look at Liverpool then, it already feels like a long time ago. Simon, my first question on this game, Liam might say Kai Havertz, but really, are there any other serious contenders for Chelsea's Player of the Year apart from Mason Mount? Um, probably not, no. I mean, like, Thiago Silva would be, in, in my thinking as well, um, he's certainly been the, the signing of the... Steady Liam. He's been the signing of the <laughs> of the season in, in my opinion. Um but yeah, no, Mason Mount is is the the thing is he's actually starting to win over even the trolls. <laughs> so you you know you're playing quite well when when sort of the trolls are well, they've either been silenced or admitting they're they're in the wrong. You've got Ashley Cole talking post match saying he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet, challenging for the captaincy. Etc. Etc. You consistently hearing these ex, these these Chelsea legends. Joe Cole has talked, uh, wax lyrical about him. You hear Roy Keane. You know 
all these guys who played at the very highest level, forget the forget the, the managers he's won over. You've got sort of the players that have been achieved some of the greatest things in football, acknowledging that Mason Mount is a top player. How anyone can argue with them, let alone us who, who've been writing about it, how anyone can argue with them, I, I do not know. But yeah, fantastic performance at Anfield. He would have probably been a bit disappointed to be left out as I inferred earlier on because he, he's the kind of guy that just wants to play every match. But he's managed to play, take his game onto another level, I think, since Tuchel's arrived. And maybe the sort of the challenge of sort of having to impress a new guy, Frank Lampard, who's worked with for two and a half years, um, not saying he was in the comfort zone, but inevitably when a new man comes in, you're going to have to raise your game to be in the side as because, as, as Tuchel showed in the very first game, he left them out. And it'll be interesting to see how Mason Mount responds to his latest submission. Uh, producer Lucy's asking a very pertinent question here, Dom. Will, will Mount start for England in the Euros? If you were Gareth Southgate picking your team for the first game now, would you have him in? Um, Gareth Southgate will have him in, I think. It's not the same question as the one you've asked me. Um, I'd, I'd probably find a, try and find a way of doing it, but it's they do have a luxury of riches there. I mean, they have a, a number of number tens who 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 will want to be playing and, and incorporating them in a side, uh, as well as Mason Mount, whether he's playing as a as an eight or in whatever formation England decide to pick, is is not an easy prospect, but. I think Gareth Southgate will have him in, yeah, because I think he trusts him in the same way that Frank Lampard did and that Thomas Tuchel does. Just finally, on Liverpool then, Liam, there there was a narrative building that Thomas Tuchel really hadn't beaten anybody difficult yet, seemed to be the story, despite the fact that Chelsea went and won at Spurs. It was, oh, well, they didn't have Harry Kane and they weren't playing very well. Uh, That's gone now, hasn't it? Now now that they've beaten Liverpool and Everton in successive games, we can put that to bed. I think you'll still find some people who are arguing that you know, Liverpool were on a historically bad run and Chelsea caught them at a good time. Um, but I think the longer this the longer this stretch of games, this unbeaten stretch of games, this dominant stretch of performances goes on, I think you have to give greater acknowledgement to Chelsea's role in making all of their opponents look bad. <laughs> They're not just playing bad teams or catching them at the right time or, or playing teams that are deciding to sit deep against them. They're pinning them back with good pressure. They're controlling the threat of any counter-attack so well that they are essentially controlling these games completely. And the only thing that is really missing from a lot of the performances are a cascade of chances or a cascade of goals. But I think we saw in the first half against Liverpool in particular, why so many teams have decided not to play a high line against Chelsea, because it's a very dangerous thing to do, especially when Timo Werner's playing as number nine. And then we saw against Everton that they can create chances pretty consistently over 90 minutes against good quality Premier League opposition that are trying to make things difficult for them. So Tuchel's built a really good team. Uh, I don't think it's done yet. I don't think they're a complete team yet, but they are a very good team and they're, they're very much on the right track. We can lean on our friend Adam Hurry, aka Football Cliché, who spent three quarters of an hour last night working out Chelsea managers starts in the job and although Tuchel has you know undoubtedly 11 matches unbeaten done fantastically well it's it's not actually rare for Chelsea managers to to begin their stints at the club well um 
I mean, even even the likes of you know the much maligned Scolari went twelve matches unbeaten at the start of his tenure. Sari went eighteen. Vs Boas one defeat in twelve. Ancelotti won eighteen of his first twenty three games. Hiddink one defeat in twenty two. I presume that would have been the first time round. Um, although he did have a very good unbeaten run actually, second time round round as well. They didn't win that many games. Avran Grant two defeats in thirty five. Mourinho one defeat by December. So. Chelsea as a club, as a group, I mean, I know that the squad has changed dramatically over the years, but whoever seems to be wearing those those blue shirts seems to be galvanised by a new manager coming in, particularly mid-season. The one point I just wanted to flag is we've yet to really see how Chelsea respond to adversity. Is a point I made in my in my piece um, following the Everton game that they, they've only trailed for twenty one minutes. Since Tuchel came in, this is a remarkable stat. Uh, Southampton, Minamino. I keep flagging it every every game at the moment. Minamino, the only opposition player to score because it's just it's just one of those things. But it's it's. I'm not saying it's easy, but when you're sort of constantly keeping clean sheets and you're the one bossing possession and and sort of with no fear of having to come from behind, it is a totally different game if you're having to chase it. So that's the one sort of real test. I don't think we've seen because they've just been so good. But it's the one test we, we've not really seen Tuchel have to overcome yet, that sort of coming from behind. So that's uh, I would say that's the one caveat before anyone gets too carried away. Because, um, yeah, if Chelsea fall behind in the game, have they got the clinical finishing? Because we keep seeing the missed chance after chance, particularly Timo Werner, unfortunately. They can't afford to do that if they're chasing a game. Got a very tricky trip to Sellers Park still to come this season. Exactly, there we go. <laughs> Jeffrey Schlupp could yet run riot. <laughs> and a potentially tricky trip to Ellen Road. We'll preview that game against Leeds next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Leeds United versus Chelsea, the early kickoff in the Premier League this coming Saturday. Then it'll be the first time the Blues have visited Elland Road since winning 5 1 in the League Cup under Rafa Benitez back in 2012. Uh, the last time Chelsea played a league game there was a one all draw all the way back in 2003. Macalena, of all people, got himself into trouble. Here's Pennant. He's gone all the way through. What a goal! What a goal by Jermaine Pennant! Left by Crespo for Mutu. Hasselbank, no flag. Mutu, and then Duff, and it's in. It's 1-1. One, one. 
Now, I know the Athletics Chelsea quiz was last week, but can anybody tell me from that game in 2003, who's the only player on either side still playing in the Premier League in 2021? Oh, wow. Brutal. Mm. Goalkeeper? Um, Not a goalkeeper. Wow. He's had loads of clubs since then. There's a clue. And it's not a Chelsea player. Can you leave it with us, Matt? I want to. I don't get that. I okay. get that pull yeah, yeah. ride, ride out moment this week. Is it James Milner? <laughs> oh, oh, he's done it. Very. It is James done. Milner. <laughs> James good. Milner scored in his first game against Chelsea as a 16-year-old in 2002, and he hasn't scored in 41 appearances against the Blues <laughs> since. Um, you can tell I make that note every time Chelsea play a team that James Milner's playing for, um, <laughs> because it is. Burned into my brain. Uh, anyway, the game against Leeds on Saturday. Um, Dom, for, for all the talk of Marcelo Bielsa's genius, is, is, is the biggest uh, factor here likely to be the pitch at Ellen Road? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. It really is. I mean, it is, it is an absolute shocker. I don't know if you've seen many of the games on, on, the, on the Ellen Road surface. It is appalling. It cuts up. Watch the... Watch the opposition players for the first five minutes of any game at Ellen Road, and I guarantee at least seven or eight of them will be falling down, slipping, and it's Bambi on ice. It's absolutely disgraceful. Um, and I know there are extenuating circumstances and that this will be resolved in the summer. We're not going to be in this situation next year, um, next season with, with, with Leeds, but it has to be an advantage to the home team, not not because it's going to benefit their football style in any way, but just just simply because they're more used to playing on it. It's such a shock to the system when you see those away, the way players slipping. I mean, sometimes it works in their favour, I guess. I mean, Ollie Watkins fell over as he played a, the assist in for, El, um, for the El Ghazi's winner at, uh, when Villa went there a few weeks back. Um, and maybe if he'd been on his feet, he would have overhit that pass. Um, but... It's it's a real shock. It was interesting to see Patrick Bamford. He was outstanding in a in a win against Palace actually at Ellen Road a few a few weeks back, saying that uh, that he changed his studs to rugby studs at half time to make sure that he could stand up on the surface. And Chelsea really need to be prepared for that. They need to need to have all manner of different length studs so that they can get the the best you know the best scenario for for imposing their football on that on that surface because it's not going to be easy. Simon, Don mentions uh, Patrick Bamford then. Never made an appearance for Chelsea in his, in his time with the club. People pretty surprised at how he's done in the Premier League, I think it's fair to say, because he used to miss a lot of chances in the Championship, but he's he's taken to the top flight like a duck to water. Yeah, unfortunately, he missed quite a few chances against West Ham. Uh, <laughs> uh, from a Chelsea point of view, they probably would have loved it if he'd put one of those away and, and, and perhaps tried to help Leeds nick a few points off West Ham. We were right, riding right on uh, Chelsea's coattails. But no, I think it's a great story of a guy that is just refuses to accept defeat, refuses to listen to the many critics, including from his own fan base. Many Leeds fans have been on his case as well. And he's had a tremendous season. And it's kind of almost like a little bit, if he can finish the season strongly, a bit of an outside contender for the England squad still. I think he's got a great sort of graceful movement a lovely finish when when he is on fire, and, and certainly a, a player that Chelsea will have to watch for. Um, but yeah, he's look, he was signed for one and a half million um, from Forest. I remember, I think sure Matt, you were probably a bit upset about it at the time as well. That this this was a player that was stolen sort of from from Forest and ended up becoming a perennial loanee. 
So it was. It did seem like classic case of Chelsea, sort of, uh, yeah, taking a player when they're young, when there's not really an opportunity, hoping they come off. But if nothing else, they can make some money out of him. And it, it, it he never really got a look in at Chelsea, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, pinching him from Forest wasn't great. Loaning him out to Derby was a real kick in the teeth there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Liam, this is the start of a run of four Premier League games against teams in the bottom half. It's, it's a really good chance to put some distance between Chelsea and the top four chasers, therefore. Yeah, I'm actually writing about this. Um, I know we haven't got to the point where we're talking about what we're writing about, but <laughs> you brought it up, Matt. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got West Brom, Brighton and Fulham as well in the next few weeks. And... The one thing you would say that Lampard's Chelsea this season were pretty reliable on was cleaning up against you know the Premier League's lesser teams. Um, so you're looking at this run now and having done what they've done against Liverpool, against Tottenham, avoided defeat against Man United, this is an opportunity for Chelsea to take control of the top four race and make sure that heading into the final weeks, I know they've still got a trip to Manchester City to come. We'll see whether City have won the title by then or not and how that how that might change things. But I think Chelsea want to get to late April, May, not worrying about their top four place. And they've got the fixtures to be able to do that if they can really rack up the points now and the teams around them continue to stumble in various ways. They've got an opportunity to to, to be in a position where they're very much looking up rather than over their shoulders, which was always the aim this season. Uh, but it didn't look particularly likely when Tuchel first came in. So that would be an impressive achievement. They're, they're within striking distance of it now, but they have to take care of business against these teams. 12.30 UK time is the kickoff for Leeds United versus Chelsea on Saturday. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team have had a terrific time since last we spoke. On Sunday, they returned to the top of the WSL after beating West Ham 2-0 in Dagenham, thanks to goals from Sam Kerr and Bethany England. That followed another 2-0 winners. The Blues got the better of Atletico Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League last 16 tie at Kings Meadow. The scoreline doesn't tell the whole story. Chelsea down to 10 players for the best part of 80 minutes after Sophie Ingle was sent off when conceding a penalty. Saved by Berger and booted out by Millie Bright. Brilliant. What a save. 
And Cashman Berger kept that out. Marin Mielder then converted a Chelsea spot kick. Frank Kirby added a second goal before Berger saved another at Letty Penn. Uh, the second leg of that game, by the way, is Wednesday of this week. It's a 12.30 lunchtime kickoff. Uh, Liam, the Champions League, the, the holy grail for this Chelsea team. Fair to say that they look more capable of going all the way than, than at any time previously? Emma Hayes certainly thinks so. Um, those were her comments after that Atletico game and she she particularly cited you know the resilience that they'd shown in the face of adversity going down to 10 players for so long facing two penalties Neve Charles sh- shifting into right back uh, she got you know particular praise from from Hayes afterwards and I think we've seen this in the Champions League on the men's side as well before where it's actually games like that and moments like that that can convince a team that it could be their year and really give them a kind of guiding sense of destiny. And and sometimes that's the most important thing to have in the knockout stage of a competition like this. There will be tougher tests. I know Atletico were pretty much the toughest team Chelsea could have drawn in this round, but Leon lie ahead and other bigger European sides lie ahead. So it's going to get tougher, but you look at a game like that, you look at the circumstances Chelsea were faced with probably unexpectedly. I'm not sure they probably went into it thinking that it was going to be as difficult as it as it was. And you learn a lot about yourself. And I think Chelsea have, have certainly done that. And they're in, a, they're in a good position now, psychologically, as well as we know they've got the talent to go deep and potentially win this competition. Uh, meanwhile, in terms of the men's academy and development sides, things aren't going so well. The under-18s got smashed 6-1 by Spurs the weekend just gone. Uh, the under-23s' struggles in front of goals continue. They were held to a one all draw at Leicester in a game in which they should have scored 6 or 7. Then they drew 0-0 with Brighton on Sunday. They host Everton on Friday night. The under-18s' next game is against West Brom at Cobham on Saturday. And that's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's see what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Dom, you can go first. Um, I'm writing... Oh, you're not going to like this. I'm writing a, a Spurs-related piece. Oh, God. <laughs> shouldn't go on this podcast. I'm, I'm doing a piece about Luka Modric's move to Tottenham back in 2008 um, ahead of their, their Europa League tie with Dynamo Zagreb later this week. So you're writing about the Modric move that did happen, not the one that didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> there is a vague Chelsea link in there somewhere. <laughs> Actually, in fairness, in fairness on that front, Chelsea tried to sign him in the summer of 2007. Frank Arneson went and scouted him, so he could have been theirs, but they went a different way. It's all coming together. Uh, Liam, you've given us a little tease, but what else have you got on this week? Yeah, so I have this piece writing about Tuchel and the run-in. Um, and how things are looking over the final stretch of the, the Premier League for Chelsea. That will be going up probably by the time this podcast is out, if not a little bit afterwards. Also working with Dom um, about Christian Pulisic and his current situation, which we've talked a little bit about on this pod. Looking into Tammy Abraham, what's happening with him. Uh, and also I'm going to Luton versus Swansea this weekend to get a closer look at Mark Gurhey. Excellent. If you, if you talk to the right people, you can get to do the scoreboard there as well. <laughs> <laughs> that piece is well worth revisiting, listener, if um, if you're a fan of Dom's work. Uh, Simon, what about you? What are you working on? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm working on Dom's piece. Uh, no, what? I'm uh, in my unofficial second role as Burton Albion correspondent. Um, I'm doing a piece on Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and... Uh, 
of course, Chelsea connection there. Um, and the remarkable job he's doing so far at Burton. He's taking them from bottom to out of the relegation zone. Uh, it was one seven of nine games. So I'm looking into uh, just sort of why? How is he doing it? Um, and that includes going to AFC Wimbledon v Burton Albion on Tuesday evening, which is probably um, yeah just after this uh, has gone up. So think of me in the rather bereft uh, conditions. Spanking new stadium that AFT Wimbledon have built. Yeah, I started to go there and then I just thought, actually, it's a nice new stadium. Actually, it's, it's a stadium that would get off my uh, checklist. I always like a new stadium. So go check out Plough Lane. But yeah, no, I'm thinking more about the sort of cold weather, you know, just it's going to be quite sad. You're already wrapped up warm enough right now. I'm cold and it's quarter to 11. I mean, what, what hope have I got at nine o'clock? That's the world's smallest violin you can hear at the moment. Just playing for sound. <laughs> Matt, you must feel like you're back on the Football League pod with all this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Also available from The Athletic. Uh, Michael Mancien, by the way, is also at Burton Albion at the moment, so you can have a look at him too. Uh, that's good stuff. If you aren't currently a subscriber, head to theathletic.com slash Cobham to sign up now. Just £3.99 a month for the first six months. You can read everything that the chaps have written. We'll be back in our regular slot next week as we build up to the second leg of Chelsea's Champions League tie against Atletico Madrid. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.